couldn't see you. And you miss you at home, day and night. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you over the last few weeks, really since Easter, that we have been reminded that you, that you are alive. That you're, that you're real. That you're, you are at work right now. And, and Father, I, I pray as we, as we remember, as we remember that, that we would remember today that your second coming is real. That, that you're going to do it. And that we would be ready and that we would hope for it. Amen. So over the last few weeks, we've been asking this question, what is Jesus doing now? At Easter, we remember that he, he rose from the dead with the body, with, with the scars on, on, his, on his hands and his feet. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he was there as a human being, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us and ruling over the world. In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at how he is now sending his spirit into the world. And Jesus did a great job last week of, of summarizing the spirit's work, of, of putting into effect the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. In people's lives, and families, and communities, and cities, that the spirit is that we're putting into effect the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And there is still another work that we are waiting for. The Lord is coming again. The promise of the scriptures and the Christian hope is that the Lord will return again. We are waiting for the return of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about the next we talked about the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, the sending of the Spirit, and the next thing that Jesus is going to do is He is going to come again. Now, most of you probably know, if you've been a part of the church at all, that there is a lot of different opinions about all of the different things that surround the second coming of Christ. And there are some, some people who, because they see that the, the scriptures speak about this and how important the second coming is, there's been a lot of effort in, 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 in reading it and studying it and seeking to understand it. And there are other people who have heard that conversation, have listened to that conversation, and they're just so confused that they just kind of ignore the conversation altogether. But what I want to say to you today is that when the biblical writers talk about the second coming of Christ, they have two goals. First, they want us to be ready. That we need to be ready for the second coming of Christ. And second, they talk about it to encourage us to hope. It's for our hope that they tell us that He is coming again. They warn us to be ready. The return of Christ is coming. And will we be acting in faith when He returns? Will we be about the Master's business when He comes back? Are we going to be living in a way that is expecting that He is coming back? So as far as it depends on me, am I at peace with everyone in my life? Have I forgiven others as Christ has forgiven me? Or am I going to be ashamed of the way I'm acting in my relationships with other people? Am I going to be 
be pleased or feel ashamed at the last social media post that I posted. You're not going to have time to delete it. You saw it already anyway. When the Bible talks about the return of Jesus, it serves as a warning to watch and to be ready to guard our life and our actions, to remind us that, that who the Lord is and to remember that we need to be serving Him at all times because when He comes, it will be immediate. That, that Paul describes it as a thief in the night. You won't be expecting it. And you're not going to have time to get all of those things in order. And so be ready. Always. The second thing, uh, reason the Bible talks about the second coming is to encourage us. In First Thessalonians, Paul speaks at, at the most length about the second coming of Christ in his letters. And his main purpose is to encourage them about it. There is a church that's really been curious about the second coming of Christ. And as the, the second coming of Christ had, had gone longer than they expected, they expected it to be fairly immediate. They had gone longer than they expected. They began to have people in their church that died. And so they were wondering, it was my dad who believed in Jesus and who hoped in the second coming of Christ. He's dead now. Is he going to experience the benefits of that? And so, so, Paul, uh, so Paul writes to them and he says to them, Listen, when he comes, he's going to gather his people, both those who are alive at that time and those who have been. He's going to gather them all together and you're going to live with him forever. And so encourage one another with these words. For those who know Christ and love him, for those who have repented and turned to him, the second coming of Christ is our greatest hope. He is coming again. He is coming to confront in our lives and in our world. He's coming to confront evil and sin. And friends, for those who have repented and turned to him, his second coming is good news. Evil everywhere will be confronted and undone. From the very, very blatant atrocities like genocide and abortion and racism and corruption to all the very subtle evil that's in our hearts, all of it is going to be confronted, judged, and dealt with in one good and right way or another. Because our whole lives right now, our whole lives are lived under the curse of sin and death. We don't know what a world would be like without sin and death. And I'm weary of it. I'm weary of living under this curse, of the effect that sin and death have on our world and in relationships. I'm, I'm weary of the burden of temptation in my own life. I'm weary of pandemics, and I've experienced one of them, and I'm over it. I'm weary and tired of divisions, political divisions, racial divisions, divisions in homes between husbands and wives, divisions between parents and children, divisions between friends. I'm weary of having to say I'm sorry for all the boneheaded things that I say and do that I didn't have to repair afterwards. I'm weary of living under the curse of sin and death. Are you? He is coming to bring healing to all of us. He's coming with healing. He's coming to bring healing that includes healing in your own heart. He's coming to bring healing to the nations. 
He is coming to create a new heavens and a new earth where He and His followers will reign forever and ever. This is our great hope. The writers of the Bible tell us that when Jesus returns, all of that curse will be gone, and we will be with the Lord forever. We will experience His presence. Revelation 21 is my favorite description of what it will be like. That He will be so near to us that there will no be, be no more mourning or crying or pain. He will be so near to us that He will wipe the tears from our eyes. How close He will be to each one of us. And that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're, we're hoping for. And so, wherever you have been in the life of the church, when you hear about end-time things, whether it's something that you are really attracted to and you want to study, you want to learn more and more about, or whether the whole thing just gives you a headache and I just can't look at another timeline or chart or whatever, wherever you are, when you think about end-time things, I want you to remember what we are hoping for in the end. That we are hoping for the visible and public and good and healing reign of Jesus over the whole world. That's what we are hoping for. And His visible, public, and healing reign over the whole world. That's what we're looking for. That's what we are hoping for. So I'm trying to make this point to make sure that you... Uh, don't get distracted by the things and then miss or ignore the things. These things are the things. And for those of you who just kind of snuff your hands, like you know, Pastor Ryan and Gary and Jeff and the elders and those people over there, they don't know. They can't agree on anything. If that's the way you've been, so you, you haven't studied it or you haven't thought about it or you haven't hoped for it, you're missing it. Just because there's, there's disagreements among God's people about what it's all going to look like, don't miss these things because of all the things. And so today, as we talk about this, this hope that we have that keeps coming, I want to I go back to this question of what is he doing now? What is he doing now? Or what in the world is he waiting for? If that's what he's coming to do, I'm ready. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. So why has it been 2,000 years? What is he waiting for? What is he doing now? And next week I'm going to talk more specifically about what he is going to do when he comes. But there are a few scriptures that talk about what the Lord is still waiting for for his return. And we're going to look at that today. First is this. Matthew 24, 14 says this. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we have this, this image of the throne room of heaven. And around the throne room of heaven is representatives from all of creation and representatives from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. If you've ever learned a different language, you know that there's almost no words that translate from that language to English perfectly. There's all sorts of, of nuances. It means 
a word for, for love, for example, can mean a little bit less than our world word for love, and at the same time, a little bit more than our word for love. There's all these different nuances to different languages. Every language and all of the nuances of those languages have a unique contribution to give and to speak praise and glory to God. English cannot fully declare and express the glory of God, but all of the languages together, with all of their different nuances, offered can give right praise and glory to God. And articulate right and praise and glory to God. Every culture has a unique way of expressing the glory of God that God wants to be represented around His throne forever and ever and ever. I can't express the glory of God in a way that an Ethiopian or an Indian or a Chinese person or a South African, that's for sure, I can't do that in the way that Tim can. But all of us together, God wants all of those different cultural expressions to be present there around the throne giving glory to God. And so right now, the Lord is at work through the church proclaiming the gospel to the nation. And in the last... Uh, 150 years, in the 20th century especially, while in the, the political world and in the, um, the warring of nations, it was the bloodiest century the world has ever known. The two great world wars and, and wars throughout that century. There was also tremendous growth in the life of the church as the gospel went to the nation. God has been at work making the good news of Jesus known the nation. The idols and the lies of every culture need to be confronted and corrected by the gospel of Jesus. And so God has been sending his church into the world proclaiming good news so that one day around the throne, every side and tongue and language and nation will be represented there forever. Second, Revelation chapter 6, 9 to 11. This is the second thing that, that Jesus is, is waiting for. When you open the fifth seal, I fall under the altar the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And each of them was given a white robe, and they were told, to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. The Lord is waiting for the full number of martyrs to be killed. There is a number of martyrs that God has in mind that will give witnesses witness to his name. The nation. Seems like a strange thing for Jesus to be waiting for. The way that Jesus defeats evil is by exposing it for what it is. In Colossians chapter 2, it says that on the cross, as Jesus hung there naked and suffered that humiliating death on the cross, this is what Paul says was happening in the spiritual world. That Jesus was disarming the powers and authorities and making a public spectacle of them. 
like making fun of them, triumphing over them on the cross. That on the cross, Jesus disarmed the powers and the swords. That's military language. He, he took the, 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 the weapons that they have and he disarmed them. And he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And if we understood this verse, really understood it, not just up here, but in here, it would revolutionize the way that we see what's really important in our world. The way that Jesus overcomes evil is by refusing to use evil to accomplish good purposes. The way that Jesus overcomes evil is to actually allow evil to do its work to him. The way that Jesus overcomes evil is to allow evil to exhaust all of its energy trying to defeat good. Because when it does that, it reveals itself for what it is. It gets exposed. Jesus made a public spectacle of the powers and authorities of this world by triumphing over them by the cross. And according to Revelation chapter 6, he has in mind a number of martyrs who are going to die in the same way. By their life, by being witnesses to Jesus, they are going to expose evil to the world for what it is. Do you remember about five or six years ago that horrific video put out by ISIS? As they marched 21 of our Egyptian brothers out onto the beach and they beheaded them and showed the whole world as if they were winning some sort of battle. They thought they were gaining some victory by, by playing to our fears. And if their violence was winning the victory for them that day. But what really happened is that evil was revealed. It was shown for the, the terrible thing that it is. The world looked on and watched and saw what evil does. And God gave 21 more to his number that day. God has a number of martyrs in mind who will join with Jesus in exposing evil for what it is. So that people will see that salvation and reconciliation and peace and shalom cannot be, will not be found by being violent. There is this ongoing and persistent temptation in the human heart to believe that what matters in this world is power and influence. And in our sincere desire to pursue good things, Justice, reconciliation, the preservation of life. In a sincere desire to achieve those things, we are willing to do whatever is needed, whatever means the world offers to us fear, deception, lies, violence, to try to achieve those good things. And we are willing over and over again to turn a blind eye to social and political leaders who use fear and violence and lies as long as they believe that they will use those things for us. For the things that we want. For the things that we like. And so presently, right now, we have many Christians on the political left in our country who are willing to ignore and even defend 
attacks of violence and deception in order to gain power to get some end of justice that they are defining. And then secondly, we have Christians on the political right who are willing to ignore tactics of fear and lies and deception and immorality and to set aside values that we have always said, always said as Christians are essential for our leaders in order to gain power and make a thing. Some political leaders, a strong man leader because, well, he's our strong man. And he's going to do the things that he wants to do. When the Son of Man comes, where do we find faith on the earth? Where do we find anyone who has faith that he is coming to confront evil and to do justice? Or will we only find people that have believed the lie that in order to gain anything in the world, we've got to do it by using Satan's tactics of fear and violence? God has a number in mind, a number of witnesses, a number of martyrs in mind who will refuse to bow to Satan's tactics. Satan's tactics of fear and violence and deception, they are found in every worldly ideology. They are found in every worldly political party. But God's witnesses, his martyrs, are completely committed to Jesus and who will refuse to use Satan's tactics to gain something extra. Jesus is tempted with this very thing in the desert. He's taken up to a high mountain and was shown all of the kingdoms of the world. And Satan said to him, Come and bow down to me, and I will give them all to you. And Jesus refused. He overcame that temptation by the power of the Word of God that says, We are to worship God and to serve Him only. And so this Jesus who overcame that temptation to to bow to Satan's ways in order to gain something good. He is the king, after all. Jesus was the king. Those kingdoms did belong to him. But I'm not going to bow to you, Satan, in order to gain you. That same Jesus who overcame that temptation in the desert then went to the cross and made a public spectacle of Satan and all evil powers and authorities through his own humiliating death on a cross. Then seeing the cross as victory to be the way that we view the world. And until we see the cross as God's victory over the powers and authorities of our world, we will continue to fall for the tired trick and lie that Satan plays. When he says to us, if you listen to my word, then you will get to define what is good and evil. And everything will be okay. Our peace and our rest here, and our peace and our rest for eternity, will never come by using Satan's tactics to gain what is good. The Lord is calling us to be witnesses. The word martyr literally means witnesses. To be witnesses with our lives, so committed to Jesus that we are willing to suffer and then to participate in evil and somehow defend Satan's ways for some wisdom. When the Son of Man comes, will we find faith on the earth? 
Will he find people of faith who believe that he is going to come and make things right? Or will he find a church that believes that it's up to us to use tactics, worldly tactics, Satan tactics, to bring about good things? Now, I realize that I just like lit a match and blew on gasoline right there. I just want you to take a minute and take a deep breath. A lot that I said there, because the next part is even more important for us to hear. Because the next part says something very specific to your heart. Second Peter, chapter 3. Go ahead and turn in your Bible today. We're going to sit here for the rest of our time. Second Peter, chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, verses 3 through 15. Paul writes this. I'm sorry, Peter, verse 6. You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So here's the, the point of what is Jesus waiting for? Why hasn't he yet come? Here's the answer. But do not forget this one thing, dear friend. If the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for your repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the Lord. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and see it coming. That day will be bring the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Amen. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And bear in mind that our Lord's patience is delaying time means salvation. The Lord is graciously waiting for people to turn to Him in repentance. But He's coming. He's not going to wait forever. So this morning, for those of you who are here this morning, or those of you who may be listening, this is an invitation to you if you have never done that, if you have, have never repented and have, have turned to Christ, He is returning. He's going to come and He is going to confront and overcome evil in every place that He finds it. And so the invitation for you today is to turn and to receive His grace so that you will receive His welcome rather than His confrontation when He comes. To experience His grace, grace rather than His wrath. 
an invitation is available to you today, an invitation to repentance, it's a really big, churchy word, but what it means is you're walking one way in your life, making decisions about what you want to do and the ways that you want to do it, and the word repentance simply means to turn around and to go and submit your life to Jesus. So whatever it is that you want from me in my life, I give it to you. I receive whatever it is that you have for me, forgiveness and grace, and I want to live for you. And if you do that today, then the day of his return will become your greatest hope and your greatest hope. And that is available to you today. And I also want us to notice, those of us who have made that decision before, that Peter's words here, most of his words here are to people in the church. Verse 14, especially. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to it, only Christians look forward to the day of the Lord's coming. Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless in that peace with Christ. Are you following Peter's warnings? Are you making every effort in your life to be found blameless when you return? There is repentance in your heart somewhere today that needs to happen. Jesus will come and he will confront his enemies. So, what part of your life? What part of your heart are you still in rebellion against the Lord? And you need to submit to him. And so I, I give that part up. I've been holding it. I've been holding on to it for myself. I don't want to give it up, but I give it up to you today. Is there still a part of your heart that is an enemy of Jesus that's rebelling against him? There will be a reckoning of that in some way or another when he comes. And he offers you grace and forgiveness today. Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him when you repent. Take a couple minutes and just be silent and need to ask that question. What part of my life, maybe it's all of my life, the first time in my life I've never done this, I need to turn around and face Jesus and walk towards him and to receive his forgiveness and his grace for me today. And maybe in, in your life, you have just held something on somewhere in your heart, some outward action, whatever it may be. And today, in order to make every effort to be blameless and peace with Him, you need to repent of that as well. To turn that over to Him and say, give that up to you. Father, would you take it Would you receive me? Would you receive that at the foot of your cross and receive, receive you today? And would you, would you do something with me? Would you, would you hold out your hand open? And would you receive this word from Isaiah chapter 30 for your life today? The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you with compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you with compassion. For the Lord 
Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. The Lord, He longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait.